the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond in the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stonewall, Mississippi. Tom's here with me, and we also have Jeff Gore. I guess for the first time this year, Jeff, good to have you. Yeah, good to be here. That's the first time I've heard the new intro music. Well, that's why that was going to be my first question. What do you think of the new intro music? Well, I mean, it's not Tom whistling Guns N' Roses, but it'll do. We have that, though. We where's, can, we where's can the always love? No, bring we that don't back. need to bring that back out. <laughs> no, dude, that was epic. If you haven't heard the episode with Tom Allen whistling Patience, then you'll have to go pretty far back. Sometime in 2019... There's an episode with Tom, and the podcast opens with Tom whistling and doing a stellar job of it, I might add. We really didn't do that many takes either. No, we did I don't remember doing that many takes. It went off pretty much without a hitch. And if I remember correctly, unplanned, I think you just... I don't remember what I, I was I doing. Think I think did. I was whistling into the hallway, I think you and just blew somebody it. said... Yeah, blew in and did it. Interesting. You can do that? I said, yeah, it's too many miles on the road and too much time by myself. And, oh, hey, by the way, I just happen to be able to whistle that entire thing in tune, too. A tune from 35 years ago, too. Well, you know, just stop. Or 30, a solid 30. Yeah, well. At some point this year, you're going to have to get him to sing. Does he sing? I don't know. What if he can carry a tune like he whistles? I bet he can sing. No. Built us off a tune here, Tom. No. So we got Jeff in today. And because we've talked about soybeans a couple times now. We've talked about cotton. We've talked about corn, but we haven't touched on rice at all. And we know there's rice going in the ground as we speak. So we just wanted to get the group of guys in that work on rice. We'll just kind of put our heads together and give you all what information that we have about rice. But before we start, Tom, if you could only stand on one foot, which foot would you stand on? Probably my right foot. Okay, why? Why not? Well, why wouldn't you stand on your left foot? Well, because I'm, I feel like I'm more right dominant. Okay. I'm right-handed. Why not stand on my right foot? See, I would, think it, I would expect a more in-depth answer. It's about all I got. Okay. That's good Tom, knee-jerk response. Tom is a right foot stand. Uh, and actually, the interesting thing is you're making me second-guess my thought. Maybe I should stand on my left. Then if I've got a do something with my foot that I can do something with, I can do it. <laughs> like kick a trash can or something? Sure. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> what I got. <laughs> that has a lot to do with rice. Yeah. You don't think it does? Well, tell me how. Well, how would you suggest it doesn't? He could stand on his left foot while holding his right knee up and examining a no. infected rice plant laid on his knee. Sure. There. Now it has to do with rice. <laughs> sure. Obviously, since we didn't have a winter meeting season, these podcasts are supposed to take that place. Why don't you give us a little bit of an update, and not necessarily an update, but what happened last year with the rice crop, Jason? I don't keep up with those you know, numbers and things like a commodity specialist would. See, we look at a fair amount of rice, and I know that y'all do too. So acres last year... My recollection of what I have written down was 170,000. And I'm not sure about the breakout of hybrid versus inbred and Clearfield versus Provisia. And of course, we have the full page system in the mix now from Rice Tech, which is their 
version of imidazolone tolerant rice. But, you know, the varieties that the three of us had put together back in the winter when we talked about it, you know, Diamond, Rex, uh, 153, and then the new CLL 15, which is Horizons, <coughs> I guess not now their newest because uh, they have a 16 now too, but it was there last year. And then Gemini and 753, and then the full-page hybrids were common last year. What are your expectations for rice acres this year? I, I think that's something everybody's kind of questioning at this point. Earlier in the winter before you know the weather started turning and prices started turning i would have said it was going to be pretty flat with last year but that's has changed a lot over the last several weeks talking to guys that check rice grow rice and then sell rice the numbers seem to be trending down pretty hard what did you say it was yesterday on the usda Planting intentions. I guess that was USDA planting intentions that the Bolivar Bullet published yesterday, and in the, the Bullet today suggested 120,000 acres of rice. So that's off what Jeff 25 plus percent off of 170. That's yeah, high level math. Down pretty good. And they they showed the trends, the percent trends, and it just off the top of my head, I can't remember. And I looked at my phone, and I couldn't see that for some reason. I didn't get that yesterday. I know that guys are planting right now. First week of April, we're getting some seed in the ground, so that's good. As we were talking before we started recording, we know that guys would have liked to have gotten some in over the last couple of weeks. And so, we, you know, we had that kind of warm, dry period the first part of March when we got a chunk of corn in, and it was really kind of early for rice at that point. And so by the time we kind of got to the good period to begin planting rice, a little wet, a little cold again, so we – missed some of that March planting window in a lot of areas. I know there were some that's been in for a couple weeks now, uh, but I think the big chunk of it is starting this week based on the conversations that I've had with people. And, and I would expect that'll definitely hold depending upon what the rain does tomorrow. Yeah, where'd that come from? I, mean, I thought we were going to get all week this week, but it's not looking like it now. The one thing I've learned is never trust a weatherman after last year. Well, how many have we missed right here yeah, that say exactly. guys in Clarksdale or Tunica haven't missed? We've gotten lucky and got a half inch when the prediction was for a you know inch plus yeah. over the past two or three weeks. Or it's a definitely, tenth of an inch. We've had three inches at my house in Cleveland over the last couple of weeks, and in some of those instances we only ended up with a tenth to two-tenths of an yeah. inch in Stoneville. I mean, that's only 25 miles as far as a crow flies, but we always have that conversation about rainfall in Stoneville being – well, there's been a big difference between between my house and Jeff's house, north of Greenville to south of Greenville. You see, I think most of it has gone just north of my okay, house, well, up closer to Scott. Okay, maybe so. I was just thinking about north of town to yeah. to south of town. But we know those plant intentions can change. We we certainly would prefer to get our rice in early for a whole laundry list of reasons. Heat late in the year, drift late in the year and early in the year, a whole list of reasons why we'd like to get our rice in as soon as possible. But there are acres that can flex in and out, and I don't know how much those really make a blip on the, the total planted acres. I, mean, I wouldn't foresee us getting back to 170 you know, with a fluke weather event, but we may tick up 5% or so. How much do, could 
Row Rice influenced that. Uh, it seems like Row Rice would make it a little easier I, to to adjust on the fly. I think you're right. And so I think there are some acres that get maybe uncommitted, if that's the right word. You know, we can go we can go either way here, you know, especially if it's in a block or something like that, and you know, just kind of wait and see. Yeah. But then the price of soybeans being what it is right now, it makes it hard to commit to doing something. Even well, even with row rice, you know, being less labor intensive than than flooded rice, still there's a labor factor there or a, an attention factor that, yeah. that it, soybeans doesn't have. What it really makes it hard to do is to stop planting soybeans once you get going. Yeah. When the price is good, you, you just don't want to stop. Yeah, as long as you can get the seed and the seed you want, keep rolling, you know, because the sprayers are related to that, cleaning out sprayers and getting your soybean herbicides out of those sprayers and cleaned up for spraying rice herbicides if you don't have multiple machines to commit to those crops. Folks that are planting rice right now, what's what are they on the lookout for? I think we're 100% in play for all of our summer annuals now i think we did a good job relative to the last few years on our ryegrass uh, we definitely have some fields that are problem but for the most part if you take delta wide we did a lot better job on ryegrass this year and so now i think we're transitioned to targeting barnyard grass which obviously is our number one weed of rice and then palmer which is always, you know, regardless of crop, Palmer's going to be a big problem for us. So transition to thinking about your at planting application. Are you going to use just command? Are you going to use command and sharpen? I would recommend both of those together. That's pretty much our standard treatment is having a residual for the grass and the broadleaf in that treatment at planting. But then you got a rate factor particularly with the command, you know, are you going to use a full rate and have less to come back with over the top if that's historically, you know, your choice of residual in your post-emergence treatment? Are you going to use a reduced rate to save some for later on? And then crop safety factor with the unknown of how much it's going to rain this week. Is it going to, it could still turn cool on us too. And varieties, hybrids play into that too. Yeah, I, I know we've started using the sharpening command, as you recommended, in our plots here on the station, and it saved us a lot of headache. Man, it's a really good treatment for the weeds that we have, particularly the weeds that we have here on the station. It just gives you a lot of insurance on getting up and getting going. Yeah. So is that going to differ then based on whether or not it's flooded rice or row rice, or you'd make the same recommendation? I would make the same recommendation. So with command, you got two pints for the year. So there's four, is that right? Four residual herbicides for grass and rice. All right, one of them is Bolero, and we don't really rely on the residual part of Bolero as much. We use it more as a post-emergence herbicide. So then you have command, you have facet, and you have prowl. Now, if you're in Clearfield, there's New Path or what is the product? The full page. I can't call the name of it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Preface in full page rice. So you could take that command and split it, right? If you got two pints, you don't use two pints at one time. So you could do a pint twice. 
Now, for me in our plots, I do a pint and a third, so that doesn't leave me, you know, that half rate to come back with post-emergence. But I think commercially we do a pint most of the time. So you have a pint twice. You have a quart of prowl available and then a kind of a range of rates with facet. In our row rice, kind of what our data indicates is basically use one of those every time you go across the field. So if you want to use command twice, obviously you're going to use it at planting, and then you have it that other pint to include with one of your post-emergence application. And then for the other post-emergence application, you have the prowl or the facet, and you can kind of pick and choose which one of those you need based on the weeds that are present at the time of the treatment. Well, Jeff, you put me on the spot about the weeds to look for, so I'll loop back on you with seed treatments and insects, and of course Tom can chime in too. Uh, we had done an episode earlier with Don about seed treatments, but Tom, I don't think we, I think we stopped before we got to rice because we had gone pretty in depth on some of the other crops. We did, we did corn, cotton, and soybean. Okay. And didn't I didn't I, spend much attention on rice at all. So why don't y'all tell folks how to manage your seed trim? I know a lot of those decisions are already made, but what to look for on early season insects and diseases. Well, f- from an insect standpoint, it's definitely a, a, a lot easier than weed control early season because we basically recommend a seed treatment. And the seed treatments that have typically been best for us has been one of the diamides. It's going to be either cruise it, cruiser or nipset. And the main reason for that is they're, they both do a really good job on rice water weevil. They'll also, if there's any kind of weird, strange things feeding on seedling rice, it'll generally take care of those, thrips, any kind of soil insects, anything like that, chinch bugs, whatever. But the neonics do have some limitations, and we do have some other options available from an insect control standpoint. And those would be one of the diamides, either for Tenza or Dermacore. We actually had a fair amount of uh, for Tenza used in the state last year. I think the last I heard was, I don't know, somewhere around 12,000 acres, which is a lot for, yeah. for one of the diamides. We've never really had that much Dermacore in the state. And that has a lot to do with the the price difference between the two, or not, not really. A, there's not a big price difference between the two, but the Fertenza label has one rate per hundred pounds of seed, whereas the Dermacore has multiple rates depending on seeding rate. So you can actually use something like Fertenza on hybrid rice, and it's somewhere around seven, eight, nine dollars an acre as opposed to 19 or $20 an acre on an inbred variety. Um, so it is a, a good option. And where it really fits is in row rice, one of those diamides, because this billbug situation that's come up, we really the diamide seed treatments are really the only thing that seems to give us any relief from, from the billbugs. And, and I don't say control because they definitely don't control them, but they are helping a lot, and that's where the yield increases generally come from in row rice with a diamide seed treatment. But still, we don't recommend those Those diamides are a little limited in that they're only going to control rice water weevil and not pick up anything else. So that's why we like 
the Neonics on there as well. So generally, using one of the Neonics, either Cruiser or Nipset, and then over-treating with something like Fratenza or even Dermacore in, in a lot of situations. I know y'all have done a fair amount of work with weevils in fur irrigated rice, so I want you to just give folks just a quick blurb on that if they haven't heard y'all talk about it you know, at a meeting somewhere. The biggest thing in a row rice situation is rice water weevil has the name rice water weevil for a reason as it relies on standing water. The, the adults are only going to lay eggs when there's water standing in the field and then those larvae require at least heavily saturated soil to survive um, on the roots. And so what we've seen in row rice is Jason, one of your graduate students now, did his master's work looking at that, Mr. Reed Kelly. And essentially what he showed is the bottom third of the field, the way we're doing the fur irrigated rice, blocking up the drainage pipe and letting the bottom end of that field flood up is the only area of the field where we're dealing with rice water weevils to any degree. We'll get a little bit in the muddy section of the field and essentially nothing at the top of the field. In an in a ideal situation, we could potentially save some money by planting the Cadillac seed treatments down at the lower end of that field to take care of the weevils and not have anything at the top of the field from a weevil standpoint. But as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that we've learned with seed treatments is sometimes those yield increases that we get from the neonic seed treatments aren't always just from rice water weevil control. There's a lot of other things that I think we've kind of learned about that will just kind of nibble on rice plants during the seedling stage and half a bushel of yield here, quarter bushel of yield there, it, it all ends up adding up. So I would still recommend at least a neonic seed treatment in the row rice. And I've had some conversations with Drew Golson, unrelated to this, but I think some of the stuff that Drew has seen in their own farm plots with row rice, man, it'd be nice if you could split that, even if you could just split it in half and you didn't split, you know, you weren't able to ID those three water zones, but if you could just split it in half, there'd be some inputs you could do on one half of the field and not the other that could save a guy some money. You know, I think there are some seed treatments that, I mean, some planters that you can have split hoppers. You know, I don't know how many people would have those right now, but that technology is out there. Maybe coming in the future, yeah. more common that have split hoppers where you're planting one seed on half the field and something else on the other half. So that, you know, that technology may be coming, but you know, it's, Definitely a, a difficult, or not difficult, it's just a little more challenging in a row rise situation because the management of what's needed can be so much different from the top end of the field to the bottom end of the field. Tom, how does that relate to disease management? It's such a complex situation, and, and I really hate to say that because it, it just clouds the whole entire situation. We always suggest a seed treatment we do on almost every crop because they do a really good job of preventing a train wreck is what we typically like to say. And the hard part, you know, you hear Jeff talk about increasing yield and you don't necessarily see a lot of that with differing seed treatments in any of the plot trials that we do. I mean, you certainly see if you went with completely naked seed, you'd see a, a really substantial response. 
but I think that those seed-applied treatments that are out there, any of those fungicides, most of them contain multiple products to manage not only what's present from a soil-borne condition, but also seed-borne, because some of those organisms you do encounter in the rice world and any other crop for that matter, any of those that are seed-borne can also add any seedling disease issues early in the season. But if the environment's going to stay what it has been the last week, a little bit warmer at night, a little bit warmer in the morning, I think that'll help reduce some of those pythium-associated diseases because those tend to like cooler, wetter conditions. And that's definitely one that any of the seed-applied fungicides out there that that are labeled for, for the pythium diseases do a great job on that. Then you also end up with rhizoctonia, and that, you know, it all just depends on what the environment does, which I, I hate to say that. P- plant pathologists do a good job of kind of hiding behind that screen. Disease pyramid. Yes. You, you heckled me about saying that, whichever yes. episode it was. Three episodes. This is the third one I've said it on. That's it, impressive. How many more do you think you'll have for the rest of the season that you can? Every chance I get. Yeah, you're going to beat my head against the wall on that. But, no, that's right. I mean, that's. The disease triangle, whichever thing you learned in class, or a disease pyramid, which I prefer because it captures time component. But, you know, field prep early in the year is important. Last fall is important to make sure that you don't have areas and fields where there may be ponding because those certainly can be problematic shortly after planting if it rains. Because the hard part about seed-applied fungicides is to talk about the fact that those do a good job of preventing seedling-associated diseases when the seed is first in the ground. And usually once that plant pops through the soil profile, most of those products are not going to be all that effective on something that may occur once that plant emerges from the soil profile. A question that I had when we recorded the seed treatment podcast, and again, like we mentioned, we just ran out of time. I know that the last few years in the spring, early season, has not been all that great for any of our crops, but particularly rice. So is it just me, or do I look at more seedling disease over the past two or three years than what I did over the past, you know, three or four years prior to that? Yeah, I mean, you, you may have. I, I know last year you and I talked about that a lot, at least in the field. We certainly didn't cover it in the podcast. That was one of those situations, for whatever reason, we seem to have a lot more rhizoctonia-associated seedling disease. And, and I think some of that's just the environment that we encountered shortly around planting period. And I've not done any immerse in the weather data to look to see what some of the differences were between years. But I think we certainly could suggest that obviously last year was a lot wetter during planting season than what it has been to this point in 2021. As recently as this morning, I was looking at some pictures that a guy sent, and they were from last year, in... You know, they were knocking around different nutrient deficiencies, and I was convinced it was sealing disease because it looked a lot like, you know, the fields that we had looked at before, sent you pictures of, you know, you got good rice and dead rice and really no kind of pattern. And I think later on there were some other challenges with that particular place, but early pictures that he sent, you know, from the sealing stage, I was convinced that, that it was sealing disease. And so a lot of times I'll end up in a field – suspected of some kind of drift and the only thing you can't explain it as is seedling disease because of the pattern in the field dead rice in the little potholes things like that so you'll get some i guess describe the symptoms that you might expect 
I'd say definitely like you just mentioned, scattered areas in a field. And what I try to impress upon folks is the rare, extremely rare instance that seedling disease or early season diseases are typically not going to occur across an entire field. They just don't necessarily happen like that. You do have to have some additional instance whereby you have a little hole in a field where water may have stood or there was a soil moisture difference even when they planted in that situation. Then plants will tend to look wilted because most of those seedling diseases, at least in the rice world and most of our other crops, tend to be root-associated issues. So they're going to cut off the movement of nutrients to that really early, young, developing plant, and then the roots will basically collapse. So you'll have wilted plants. When you remove them from the soil, the root's going to look shredded, rotten, not present, and it may slough off. It'll look kind of slimy. You can pull it apart pretty easily is usually what I look for. And then we can get some foliar symptoms associated with it too. And I don't know that they're the, a symptom of the disease, but they show up in association with the disease, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Some so of that. spotting, kind of tip, die, die back from the tips of the leaves, things like that. Is that correct? Yes, that, that's a good point because you would, any of those root-associated issues that would reduce the movement of moisture and nutrients through a plant, you would expect to affect the furthest point from the root first. So and that's, leaf tips. A lot of times that's how I end up in the field because it's you know spotting and burning looking and it appears to be herbicide injury just with a casual glance. Jeff, are there any additional thoughts that you need to make as related to early season insect management? The biggest thing is the and this is what I try to point out every time I talk about seed treatments in rice. If you think about a crop like cotton, where we, we've used seed treatments for a long time, and in our recommendations, generally what we say in cotton is we need it to work until the fourth true leaf stage. In rice, that's a lot different because we're primarily targeting rice water weevils, which aren't going to move in until we put the flood on. So it's going to be at least the four-leaf stage, if not later in some situations. So we're asking a lot more out of those seed treatments in rice than we are in other crops. And they still work extremely well. But the thing that people need to think about, especially with this early planting, you know, planting right now when we're still getting some, I think it's 80 today, but we're getting still some fairly cool temperatures, especially at nighttime and seedling emergence is slow and it takes a while to get to rise up to a stand and then get to that flood is the the time clock starts ticking on that seed treatment as soon as you put that seed in the ground not when those seed not when you get that plant emergence yeah and anything that slows it down and leaves it in the ground for a extended period of time is negatively impacting that seed treatment yeah yeah and so we we've seen it in the past in a lot of situations where we delay it takes us a while from planting until we get to that flood stage that the seed treatments are still doing something, but they're not doing as much as they could do. And we generally recommend a foliar spray in some of those situations with a pyrethroid right before we put that flood on or right after the flood goes on. Well, as always, I think we'd like to thank our listeners. It's 
really important. Keep the comments up. We really appreciate them. We certainly have gotten a lot of good feedback recently. And, you know, sometimes if it's not, if it's not all good, don't be shy about that. If you have some topics for us to consider, we'd be more than willing to entertain those. And as always, we really appreciate the time that you take out of your day to listen to us. We appreciate having Jeff in here, and I'm sure we'll have him in here a few more times this year. I'd guarantee that. we got to get all the entomologists in here for a, a, a really good podcast. Because they travel in packs. <laughs> Folks, concerning rice, just to give you all an update, we are in the process of, of looking for a rice agronomist, so hopefully we'll have one of those on board with us in the next few months. But for this crop, I'm here, Tom's here, Jeff's here, Drew Golson's here. If you don't have my number, you got Tom or Jeff's number and need to talk to me, you know, call one of them or vice versa. Uh, we want to help y'all do whatever we can to make a crop. And so if there's a question you don't think I know the answer to, call and ask me anyway, and, and I can probably find somebody that may know the answers. So don't hesitate to call us if we can help you do anything. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.